Okay, we are we are in uh, Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, and we read the first half of Genesis 22 last time, where Abraham was called to offer up his son Isaac, and so we're gonna we're gonna pick this up now. In uh, we'll overlap just a little bit, and we'll pick this up on in in verse four. On the third day, Abraham, this, so this is Genesis 22, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So then that remember that word together is yachdad in Hebrew, which means an absolute oneness together. They were really one in this. He laid the wood on his own son just as the father laid the cross on Jesus' back. And they are walking. Isaac doesn't know that he himself is going to be the offering yet. And then it says that... that, uh, um, He said, God will provide the lamb. What was going through? What was going through Abraham's mind? We already looked at this, but you can look at it again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. This is what was going through Abraham's mind because we have the best commentary in the world to the Old Testament is the New Testament. It says, by faith, in in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he received him back as a type. In Abraham's mind, there was going to be a resurrection that day. There had to be a resurrection because we looked at twice there had been promises. Twice that there had been promises that Isaac's seed, that the offspring of Isaac, Isaac's children will be the seed that will carry forth. Isaac, to this point, didn't have any children. Isaac looks like between 12 and 14 years old, somewhere around in there. Some authors say he's in his 30s. Um, But in any case, let's read on. Verse 9. Then they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay, so here he is. Isaac is, say, 12 or 14 years old. There's no way Abraham, who's now 112 or 114, could ever catch Isaac if Isaac didn't want to be caught. No way. Remember, Isaac grew up in the desert, in the Beersheba desert. And there's this kid. I mean, you can't catch a 12 or 14-year-old if you're 112 or 114. I remember when my son turned about 12 and we would start playing basketball. I just couldn't keep up with him. I mean, he's just all around me. And, and uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't 114 at the time. And it's just hard. Isaac is willingly giving of himself. 
But what's interesting here is that it says, then he came to the place which God had told him. Earlier on in the chapter, he says, you go to this land of Moriah, and I'll tell you which mountain to go on. Well, God must have spoken to him, so there was more dialogue going on that we don't have written here. God's giving us all that we need as far as dialogue. And it says that that uh, uh, Abraham built the altar in verse 9 of, of Genesis 22. He built the altar there and he arranged the wood. He built the altar and he arranged the wood on the altar. He built the altar and he arranged the wood on the altar. There was plenty of work to do to prepare for this. There's plenty of work to do to come to worship on Sundays. There's plenty of things to be done. If you're not involved in it, you have a problem. And that problem can be solved by getting involved. All right? When you show up here, I guarantee you at 6 a.m., this place does not look like this. All right? So there are, there are wonderful people here that are part of this class that are setting up the breakfast. That set up the breakfast. There's others that go shopping early in the morning to buy the food. There's others that are setting things up and getting everything ready. Worship takes setup. For him to have it, it says that he had to build the altar. So he had, he, he gets there and he's not like, well, no altar here. I guess we got no sacrifice today. Nobody set it up. I mean, what am I going to do? Nobody set it up. I thought it's just supposed to be set up. No, there's work to be done and you are the ones who should do it. We are all to be participating. We are all to be active in ministry. You get set up. So when the guys come and they say, hey, you know, you kind of help out making breakfast in the morning, preparing, preparing for lunch. I mean, this is all for everybody to participate. Worship, worship of God takes participation. There's plenty of people at the church that are buzzing around early in the morning before the masses get here for church to just sit in the pews and worship. There's a lot of people getting stuff set up. And a lot of unpaid people. They don't get paid for this? No, they don't get paid. Was Abraham getting paid to do this? Was God like, Abraham, I think you ought to get paid to worship me. I mean, because I'm taking your time. I mean, how much is your time worth? You know, I know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot of, lot of sheep to take care of and things. I mean, taking him away from his livelihood. No, you give of yourself. This is what the body of Christ is all about. And in fact, you are much happier that way. You say, well, you know, I, I, I got to sleep. You will be much happier sacrificing your sleep for worship. You really will. I heard this story long time ago. When uh, and, uh, a guy was telling, there was a guy, he was in his 60s. He was just so old. And he, he, um, he was telling this story about how there was a group, there was a group of young people and he was a young person at the time and they were going to go out and, and go sharing the gospel and have a Bible study together and come back. And he was, he said, no, no, I don't feel like going out. I'm just going to stay here and read a good book. So he didn't go. And he started reading the book and he wasn't quite comfortable because it wasn't, it was kind of hot. And so he, he set up a fan and then he started reading his book and he was thinking, boy, it'd be nice to have some cookies. So he went and he got some cookies and then he thought, boy, I really need milk with this. So he got some milk and he's got his fan and, and this thing it went on and on. He got very little reading done. And then after a couple hours, these other people came back that went out serving the Lord and they were so happy and joy filled. And this guy was just sitting there trying to feed his face and he wasn't happy. 
You want to have happiness and contentment in life? You want to have happiness and contentment as a couple? Learn to serve in the body of Christ and you will be much happier. You really will, as you learn to give of yourself, you become much happier when you give of yourself. If if it's just all about me and all about my little family and taking care of myself, you're going to be miserable and you'll sit and you'll be, why am I always depressed? Why am I always depressed? People ask me, do you ever get depressed? I don't think I get depressed. I I mean, I get, sometimes I get melancholy, you know, I wouldn't call it depression, but for like 15 minutes, maybe, maybe an hour, and then I call Shireen and, and I say, nobody loves me. She says, I love you. I said, you do? She says, yeah, I do. I said, well, nobody else does. She said, no, a lot of people love you. I said, okay, I'm better now. And that's it. I mean, my melancholy's gone. I mean, when you learn to serve, it really does help. It really does help your life because you don't have time to sit there and think about yourself and feeding your own face. It's all about other people. This is the body of Christ. There was work to do to set up this altar. He arranged the wood and he bound his son Isaac. Remember, Isaac has to be willing to lay down his life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I willingly lay it down, Jesus said. Isaac had to willingly lay down his life. There's no way Isaac could have been caught by Abraham. You know, imagine Abraham trying to chase down Isaac. There's no way. He had to willingly lay down his life. And you see, he couldn't have been that old because it says... It says that he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar. A guy 114 is not going to be picking up a 35-year-old. He laid his son on the altar. And then it says in verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. This was not a charade. Abraham wasn't like, God, I'm taking the knife. I'm going to do it. No, it was just... He took his knife and he stretched out his hand to to slit his throat. There was no delay in this. None. Abraham was utterly convinced. There had never been a resurrection. Never been a resurrection in the Bible to this point. We have seen in the Bible examples of the resurrection. Abraham never saw this. But he believed that God was going to raise him even from the dead. The New Testament tells us. And then he went and he went to slay his son. The scriptures tell us that's what he intended to do. So that's what he intended to do. If the scriptures say he picked up the knife to slay his son, that's what he did. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Remember, this is the first chapter in the Bible where God is calling Abraham by name. It happened earlier on in, 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 uh, in verse 1 of chapter 22. The first time he ever called Abraham by name is in this chapter. The first time the word love is ever used in the Bible is in this chapter. The first time you see a father conversing with his son is in this chapter. He calls to him again, Abraham, Abraham, because he's like, he's really going to do it. I mean, we better just, uh, you know, get his attention. And so he stops and he said, here I am, that one word, Hineni. Hineni. Remember, here I am is one word in Hebrew. Speaking of at your service rather than location. Here I am. At your service. That's the only word that, that Abraham speaks to God. God calls him to do this. He says, here I am. God calls him to slay his... says, stop. He says, here I am. 
And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Again, he says, the lad. This is a boy. We don't call a 35-year-old guy a lad. I mean, to your perspective, a 35-year-old's old, right? Kind of old. You know, there's sort of past the prime, I think, right? 35 is old. And, and uh, um, he calls him a lad. You do and do nothing to him. He says, don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. He had to make sure. He said, this guy means business. Don't stretch out your hand and don't touch him. Don't do anything to him. Then he says, he says, uh, um, I know, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know that you have fear, that you fear God. Now I know. In other words, I didn't know before. Now I know. By your willingness to do what I Asked you to do. Remember, it was not a command, take your son and slay him. He used the word, I pray thee, nah, in Hebrew. The word not means please. And it's translated, I pray thee. And you don't see it in any of our translations, except if you go to the Young's literal translation. Then you'll see it, I pray thee. But that's one word in Hebrew, nah. He's asking him, he's asking him to do this. And he did it, because God asked him. He says, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know. If you look in James chapter 2, James chapter 2 makes reference to this. Remember, we're going to the best commentary in the world in the Old Testament. James chapter 2, verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So it says that faith was working with his works. It was his works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac? There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus has already paid that. If you think you're going to get it through your earning it, you're never going to get it. You read Romans chapter 9. That's what it says that Israel is doing to this day. Trying to earn their salvation as if it were by works. And they're going to fall short. Your salvation is by faith. Jesus has done all the work already. He's already died on the cross for you. You receive this gift by believing, the Bible says. You receive the gift of salvation by believing. That's how the receipt is gotten. By believing. But when it comes to showing ourselves to God approved, it, we are justified, our faith is made real through our works. It was the work of God. Now I know. Now I know. I can look at young people. I can look at you and tell you whether you're going to have a happy life or not. You're like, how can you do this? And it's because I'm, I'm zero prophetic. It's not because I'm a prophet. It has nothing to do with prophecy. It's just data points for me. I've worked with so many students for so many years. Over 30 years I've been a professor, and before that I was in in the university for 10 years or something like that. Yeah, from the age of 18 to the age of 28, I was learning in the university. And then from 28 I was a professor on to where I am now. All right, so, so for over 40 years I've been in the university. So I've seen a lot of data points, right? When I see young people that are active in service for the Lord, I know that they will have a happy life. I know it. 
Because when they are active in the Word of God, active in service to the Lord, they end up finding a spouse like that, so they don't have a selfish spouse. It's much better to be married to somebody who is selfless than selfish. And then their lives are so much happier. And when you get out from yourself and keep serving the Lord, you get beyond yourself. And so you see here, he's saying, I know from your service, from your service, now I know you love me. Not by just your saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now I know. Because you're willing to do the things that I've called you to do. Because you're willing to do the things that you've been called to do. Verse 13, And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. You know, so he just happens to see a ram. So he didn't go, huh, that's interesting, a ram over there. No, God never even had to tell him, go get the ram and offer him up instead. He knew what to do. I mean, so walking in faith with God isn't just, God command me and I'll do it. God command should I turn left or should I turn right and I'll do it. I mean, he knew what to do. There was a ram stuck there. How often does a ram get caught in a thicket right next to an altar? I mean, it was obvious to him what to do. And we'd like see a ram. I'm afraid to do it. Abraham knew what to do. He dealt with rams his whole life. You just grab the thing and you, you tie it up and you slit its throat. He knew what to do. And then it says, it, it says that, um, uh, verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So, so Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. Jehovah meaning Yahweh. Yahweh was, is the personal name of God. That's translated in many English Bibles as Jehovah. But it's Yahweh will provide Jireh. Will provide. The Lord will provide. And it says there's a saying to this day. Well, Moses wrote this. Moses penned this based on all the oral translation of this account from the time of Abraham to the time of Moses. So you have this 400 year period over which this was, this was passed down. And now Moses is penning this and he says in that as it is said to this day, to the day that Moses is writing, there is a saying based on this, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. If you could learn that the Lord provides, you will be greatly blessed in life. There will be times where you will be financially strapped. And just to remember, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. When, when I first started my career as an assistant professor, I was making the grand amount. I had a PhD, I had a postdoc from one of the best universities in the world. And my salary was $32,000 a year. And you think, well, that was an eternity ago. It was a long time ago. But still, $32,000 a year was not that much. And, and uh, um, so I remember just, just my apartment in, in Palo Alto, California was $700 a month for a cheap one. That was, that it, there was a long bike ride to the university from there. It was $700 a month. So figure this thing out. And so anyway, my, my, so, so every month I would get done paying these bills and I'd be like, we got through another month. I got the bills paid. Month after month after month. 
the Lord was faithful. The Lord was faithful. And I had four kids. I mean, we never played this game. Boy, we can't have kids. We can't afford it. If, if, if we waited till we could afford to have kids, we'd be like having kids right now. All right? All right? That, that, that's what we'd be doing. There's never excess money for kids. You just have them and the money comes. I'm telling you, the Lord provides. Don't wait. I can't understand why people wait until they're like 40s to have a kid. Be like, aren't you tired? Aren't you just tired? I remember that I was teaching one of my sons how to ride a bike. I was 40 years old. And I was running down the street, and it was in the summertime in Houston. And so you're bending down and holding the back of his seat, and he's riding, and you're, you're running. And, and I was in, in a T-shirt, and I just drenched. And I came back to the house. He was number four, our fourth child. I came back to the house, and I was wiped out, and Shereen stood there. She looked at me. She said, so, you want to have another? <laughs> you know, you, you lose energy after a while. Don't wait so long to have kids. I mean, it just... just you just have your kids and learn to be, learn not to be selfish about your time. Kids will break your pattern of selfishness. They really will. Because you gotta get up in the middle of the night, you gotta take care of them, you gotta change their diaper, they're screaming, it messes up everything in your life, and that's wonderful. It teaches us not to be so selfish about our time. You go 15 years without having children, and you'll get in a pattern of just taking care of yourself. There's a, there's a great thing. If you can have kids, I encourage you, when you're married, have them. So anyway, I don't know how I got off on this thing. It wasn't intended. The Lord will provide. That's how I got off on it. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. Because you've done this thing. See how important this is? Because you've done this thing. And have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens. And as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So look, comes this blessing. With obedience comes blessing. Every act of obedience is filled with a blessing. It's filled with a blessing. Acts of obedience are filled with blessings from God. But this one was a really big one. And he, and, and it's clearly, you, you say, well, God's going to bless us either way. No! He says, because you did this thing, that's why you're going to get this blessing. Had he not done it, he wouldn't have gotten this blessing. Because you did this, you're going to get this blessing. Because you've done this thing, and if not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you. So it wasn't, I will bless you. It's, I will greatly bless you. It's like, God is saying to the angel, stand back. Get out of my way. I'm just going to shower upon this guy blessing. Just blessing. You want to bring blessing upon your home? You want to bring blessing upon your family? Learn to serve the Lord. He showers upon your family blessing. You learn to give up yourself. You learn to be generous. My wife is so generous. She's giving away stuff all the time. All the time. It doesn't matter if I tell her we don't have enough money. She just does it anyway. She just gives away stuff. Just keeps giving it away. And so much blessing falls upon our home. So much blessing. You know the food she gives away on, you know what? Just so much food. So much, just always blessing. 
so the students will leave on, on, on Sunday and she gives away lots of food and then there's other food left over. And then I see her getting in her car. So where are you going? Oh, there's some families that, that, that need some food. I'm like, like us? <laughs> I mean, we could use a little bit of this. And, and then I've told you this story before. One day I came home, the whole refrigerator was gone. The whole thing was gone. I said, what happened to the refrigerator? Just don't worry, we're getting another one. Okay. I mean, the lady is just so giving. But because of that, there's showers of blessing that come on the family. So, so he says, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. Your seed, singular, shall possess the gate of their enemies. So, so you see what, what, what he's talking about here is that he's talking about the offspring that are going to come from Isaac. And it says they're going to possess the gate of their enemies. I'll tell you, you come against Israel, you're in trouble. Never says that Israel is going to possess the gate of their friends. But the gate of their enemies, they will possess. How do I know? Because God said it. If you've got enemies in life, don't let it be Israel. Just make an enemy of somebody else. Because they're going to possess the gate of their enemies. Because God said it. When God says it, it has to happen. When this word says it, it has to happen. It can't not happen. It has to happen. But he says, I'm going to greatly multiply your seed. There's going to be stars of the heavens, sands of the seashore. He takes two things that we can't count. You look up at the heavens, I mean, you can't count all that's there. That's how it's going to be. You think sand, grains of sand. That's the image. That's the image that he gives. Then he says in verse 18, And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Why is God going to do this? Because you obeyed my voice. God says it again, because you obeyed my voice, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Has that seed blessed the world? That seed has blessed the world in Jesus Christ many, many, many gazillion times over. That seed has led to Jesus Christ, the Jew, who died on the cross for all of us, for Jew and Gentile. And brought them into relationship with the Father. The world has been blessed through Jesus Christ. But not just them. You just think of what's been done through this seed. Just look at the recent past. Nobel Prizes started in around 1900. In around 1900. And so, so, uh, um, if you look, if, if you look at the number of Nobel Prizes, about 22% 22, 23, I don't remember the exact numbers. It changes every year. But 22 or 23% of all Nobel Prizes have been won by Jews. And they're like 0.02% of the human population. How does that work? Well, it must be a lot of Jews on the Nobel Committee. Zero! None! What's going on? Well, maybe because there's a promise. There's a promise that through your seed, the world is going to be blessed. Maybe because God fulfills His promises. You say, well, Jews are really so smart. No, it's God fulfilling a promise. If He has to make them smart to fulfill the promise, He'd do it. If He had said, through your seed, the best athletes in the world would come. I'll tell you, then Jews would be able to run fast. 
and do athletic things. But remember, you look at the football field, there's very few Jews on the field. They're in the owner's suite. That's where they are. It's true. This is what it says. Through your, through your seed, the world will be blessed. Now, you say, well, I'm not Jewish. I can't bless the world. I'll tell you, when I read this verse, as a Jew born into a Jewish home, I feel obliged to impact this world. I feel obliged. When I read this verse, I feel obliged to be part of that, to bless this world. But you should also. Let me show you why. Look in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. <clears throat> verse 26. Galatians three twenty-six. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Not heirs according to the blood, but heirs according to the promise. He wants to bless the world through you. You should feel obliged to leave this world with a great blessing if you know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, you're separated from this. The Bible, the New Testament, handles three groups of people. It speaks of Jews. It speaks of Gentiles or Greeks. Sometimes calls them Greeks. He handles those two groups of people in different ways. And you can see it right on into the New Testament. But once you're in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, He handles them both the same. Once you're in Christ, you're handled both the same. There's neither Jew nor Greek, meaning Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, male or female, you are all one in Christ. If you say, well, I'm a woman, I can't do this. No, I mean, I know we've done away with that in this country. But if you should have any residence of that feeling, that's done away with. In Christ, we are all one. Functionally, we might be different. We might have different jobs. We might have different tasks. But we're all here to bless the world. You should go in with that intent. If you be in Christ, it is your calling to leave a blessing on this world. It is your calling. It is not all about us anymore. It's not all about me. It's about others. Once we are in Christ, it's no longer about me. It's about Him who gave Himself for me. It's about living for Him. You live for Christ and no longer for yourself. So your sleep is not your own anymore. The Bible says He has died for you. You are no longer your own. You belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. Your sleep belongs to Him. That means you get up and you spend time with Him. Without that, you will always be weak. You will always be weak. I can guarantee you that. You will always be spiritually weak if you do not have a regular time with the Lord. And if you think, well, I don't have a regular time with the Lord. Change it! Change it! And that's why I like working with young people rather than with older people. Because older people feel, I can't change myself. Younger people are like, okay. You know, I can come and just smack you guys up and you're like, oh, okay, I'll change. That's why I like working with younger people. You just change. Do this. Change your life. Change the pattern in your life. 
The Word of God calls us to this. Because you do this, I will bless you. Because you've done this, I will bless you. There is word after word in the Bible that tells us that if we spend time in the Word of God daily, daily, there is great blessing. God says over and over again, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 112, Psalm chapter 119, verse 97 through 100, over and over again, we are told that if we spend time in the Word of God, we will be greatly blessed. There is a sacrifice, and we ought to feel obliged, obliged to do this. You are children. We are children of God. It says that you are... If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus, if you are a believer and you have not been baptized since believing in Christ, you ought to be baptized. I have never known anyone to walk strongly with the Lord without being baptized. You'd be the first, but I bet it won't happen. Baptism is an act of obedience. Be baptized. You say, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. Fine, be embarrassed. Do the, word, do, what, do the will of God. You say, how, how do I do it? It's very easy in this church. You just speak to the leadership, tell them you want to get baptized, and you be baptized. They'll, they'll set up a date for you, and you'll stand right up there in front of the church. Be embarrassed and get baptized. Get baptized. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. This word, this promise that he gave to Abraham is something that the people could bank on. He brought this back again and again. So he swears by himself, it says in verse 15, by myself I have sworn. God doesn't have to swear by himself. God can just say it and it's going to happen. But he's doing this emphatically. There's, there's six times in the Bible where God swears by himself. It's noted in five different books of the Bible. Only, only six times, and it's, it's constantly, over and over again, in reference to this. In reference to this, this occasion. So, for example, in, in, in Exodus, God was going to destroy the children of Israel. What did Moses do? Moses interceded on their behalf, and Moses prayed this prayer in, in, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 13. Moses said, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself. He is invoking that time when God swore by himself. He says, remember the promise you gave? You swore by yourself. And you said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the land which I, uh, and this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So Lord, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm that he would do to his people. God intended to do to wipe out the nation of Israel and build a new nation for Moses. That's what the Bible says. He intended to do that. Moses interceded and called upon God and said, "Ah, uh, I remember your promise." God says, "You're right. <laughs> I won't destroy him. I won't destroy." Him. He invoked the promise of God. We can invoke God's promises. You learn to invoke God's promises. We're going to close with this. We're going to close with with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? 
If God is for you, who is against you? A common feeling that people have is, is I, I can't do this. I'm not. If God is for you, who is against you? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. That means Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You think, hey, I'm going through so much. Well, how, how many times were you killed for Jesus? I'm just wondering. Oh, never? Okay, well, you, 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 haven't, you haven't gone up to this level yet. The Bible says in, in Hebrews, you haven't yet shed blood in your striving against sin. So if, if, if the Bible doesn't even call it persecution if you haven't shed blood. So if somebody makes fun of your Christian t-shirt, that's not persecution. That's just somebody making fun of your Christian t-shirt. All right? Persecution is blood. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. God loves you. And if you don't know Jesus, I implore you this day, get to know Him. Get to know Him. I will tell you about Jesus. I'll just tell you all about Him and you'll get saved. It's that easy. Today we're going to have lunch at my home. If you do not know Jesus, you have my special invitation to come. For those of you that know Jesus, you're all invited. But the special ones are those who don't know Jesus. And I am going to sit with you. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to tell you this story about Jesus. And you will get saved today. Because it's not up to the man who wills or the man who runs, but to God who has mercy. Today will be the day of salvation for you. You sit with me today. Let me tell you this story about how Jesus has given his life for you and you will be saved this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. For your word is good and true. I pray, Lord, for these young people that they would take hold of it and they would believe your word and that they could bank on your word even as Moses did when he called upon it and he said, as you said to Abraham, Lord, that they would take the Word of God and make it a part of their lives and call it right down into their lives because it's the promises of God. Father, I pray that this day they would start reading Your Word daily. And Father, for those here who don't know You, oh Lord, I pray that this day they would get saved. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Lord, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Save souls this day, I pray. Bring them to the feet of Jesus. Lord, your mercy and your grace abound this day. And I commit this to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.